Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Long time no see. I don't know about you, but it feels to me impossible to get through a day currently without hearing the phrase cost of living crisis or to hear a story about price increases or of shortages or of the seeming impending doom for the whole of life as we know it. They feel the same? And I think it's worth acknowledging that there will be a variety of people in the room here this morning. There will be some who have, by the circumstances we're currently facing as a society, been brought to a point of financial hardship already. And that might be you, you might have sat looking at your bank account, looking at your figures going, oh my, what are we going to do? There'll be others in the room who are deeply cynical that there is even a cost of living crisis. There will be others who have so much money at the moment you haven't even noticed. And there'll be others whose finances are in such disarray that you've not even noticed either. (laughs) There will be the full range of people in the room this morning as we take on this topic. And... We've, what we've done is set two weeks aside from the series that we're doing. We're about to approach a really pivotal verse in 1 John, which is about how if a brother or sister sees someone, if we see a brother or sister in material need and don't have pity on them, how can the love of Jesus be within us? It's a really challenging verse. And we were convinced before we get there, we actually need to do a little bit of work before uh, looking at how should followers of Jesus handle money? Because if you're going to hear a statement like that, it's probably important to have some foundations in place. And I was struck a couple of years ago that we talk about money a reasonable amount at Hope Church, normally in the context of giving to Hope Church or how we've used our money, but I didn't remember a time where we've just talked about how we should all use our money in our everyday lives. And I thought that is a gross oversight and we should do something about it, hence these two weeks. And so today we're going to look at one of Jesus' parables, a slightly confusing parable, a very challenging parable when we come to understand what he's actually saying, um, that answers the question, how are followers of Jesus to handle money? And then next week, we're going to have a series of interviews and some practical wisdom from people in the Hope family of things they've learned as they try to follow Jesus in this area. And I hope it's going to be really helpful for all of us, no matter which of those categories I mentioned earlier, that we find ourselves in. So if you've got a Bible, when you get it out, put it on your lap. Open it up to Luke chapter 16. Um, This is a confusing parable at first glance. And I hope that we will leave this place not confused, but understanding. The challenge is that when we do understand, we find ourselves challenged by what Jesus has to say. Unsurprising really, isn't it? You all did so well at responding earlier. Right, where's my Bible? Let's open this up. Luke chapter 16, we're going to read the first 13 verses. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. I.e., clear up your things, get it all in order, you're fired. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? 
My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 3,000 litres of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 1,500. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? 30 tonnes of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 24. The master, get this, commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world, this is Jesus commentating now, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What's going on? <laughs> Jesus is telling a story, and he's telling a story about a manager who is the manager of a very rich man's possessions and accounts, a fund manager, if you like, in today's money, a house steward, perhaps. And he is accused, though we don't know whether he did it or not, of using and wasting the rich man's possessions. Doesn't say whether he's deceitful in this or just incompetent. Doesn't say if he actually did it, just that he's accused of it. And the rich man decides, no, I'm not having this, I'm going to fire him. And so he fires him. But before he goes, the manager hatches a plan because he doesn't fancy digging and he doesn't fancy begging. He thinks, what can I do? And he goes and he gets the accounts out and he calls in the debtors and he slashes their debts by way of earning favour for when he no longer has a job. Those people owe him and he might be able to eat at their table and take shelter in their houses. It gets confusing when the rich man commends the manager for his behaviour. He's just robbed him of 1,500 litres of olive oil and some tons of wheat I can't quite remember. And yet the master, the master commends him. He says, well done. It's a bit strange. And what gets even harder is that then it seems like Jesus commends him too. Did you notice that? So the rich man commends the master for swindling him, for being shrewd with his possessions. But Jesus says, the point of this story is that we should be like the dishonest manager. <laughs> now, let's notice a few things that help us. Number one, Jesus is not approving of the man's actions themselves. Jesus is narrating the story and he calls him the dishonest manager. Yeah? Dishonesty, not a virtue. Yeah? Jesus is saying what he did is not to be admired and copied, 
but his attitude, his heart, the viewpoint that he took on the situation, that is to be admired. That was shrewd, which means using what you have, but will ultimately be gone in such a way that it impacts the future. And for Jesus, he's saying, using what you have, but that you know will be gone in such a way as to impact not just the future, but eternity. So he's not saying you can swindle your boss out of all sorts of debts and get yourself money and loads of friends. But he is saying what you use the things in your hands for really matters and that we should be shrewd, i.e. use them with an eye on eternity rather than both our eyes on now. That makes sense? That's what's going on in this parable. Jesus is saying this, there is something much more valuable than whatever worldly wealth is in our hands. I'll say that again. There is something much more valuable than whatever worldly wealth is in our hands. Take a moment, look at your hands. None of you have got wealth in them right now. Probably. Some of you might have very valuable things in them if you're taking notes on your phones. <laughs> but within our hands right now, we possess many things. But Jesus is saying there is something far more valuable in life than anything in your hands. Should we make this a modern example so we can understand a little bit more? I've got a pocket full of Monopoly money. £2,000 of Monopoly money. And I will give this to any one of you that so desires for £10 from the Bank of England. Anyone? I'll take card. I know no one does cash these days. £2,000 Monopoly pounds for £10. It's a good deal, right? It's a stupid deal. What about if we're playing a game of Monopoly? Suddenly it becomes a little bit more intriguing, doesn't it? Depends how committed you are to the game. What about if I made it even more enticing? 2,000 Monopoly pounds for two pounds. In a game of Monopoly. I mean, that's setting you up to win, right? Picture the scene. Two siblings, probably brothers. And the older one says to the younger one, I will give you 2,000 Monopoly pounds for your £2 pocket money. And the younger brother's used to being beaten into the ground in every game. is committed to winning a Monopoly. Totally invested in the game. Sounds like an attractive option, doesn't it? So off he goes, gets his £2 pocket money, comes back, the deal takes place. And the older brother is laughing all the way to the piggy bank, isn't he? Because he doesn't care about the game. He knows that all this money is just going to go back in the box. The game will be over. And he will have two real pounds. That he didn't have at the beginning, but now he has. He has the long-term view, but the younger brother did not. The older brother acted shrewdly, the younger brother did not. Ten pounds. Anyone? Anyone? Let's do the story another way. There's a story in the Old Testament of two brothers. Esau and Jacob. And Jesus at this point is essentially saying, don't be a fool like Esau, who sold his future inheritance for a bowl of hot soup. He was hungry, he was tired, his brother had been cooking, it smelled incredible. 
But the deal was atrocious. <laughs> he gave up his future inheritance, the blessing of his father, for a temporary bowl of hot soup, which warmed him for ten minutes and filled his stomach for a few minutes more, but was ultimately gone. And Jesus is saying, don't live life concerned about the things that are going to go back in the box. Don't live life concerned about the things that will pass in a matter of hours. But live life with your eyes fixed on what is eternally important. Be shrewd. Be shrewd. The manager used what he had in order to get something more valuable later. And friends, Jesus is saying to you and I, to live now with our eyes on eternity, and that that is the way to follow him. And that's not just in our actions, but it's in our wallets and our bank accounts as well. One day, all our money will go in a box. And some well-paid solicitors, hi if you're here, <laughs> will work out probate and distribute it accordingly. But you'll be in a box in the ground and all your stuff will no longer be yours. And it just won't really matter anymore. But in that moment, there will be something that matters a heck of a lot more. And it's what you invested in through the day by day of your life today. Don't be a fool like Esau. Be shrewd like the manager. And Jesus then goes into four verses of perhaps the richest teaching in the whole of Luke's gospel. And we're going to do it in about ten minutes. Three consequences of living with this approach. Three consequences of walking in the way of Jesus when it comes to our money. Number one, you find it in verse 10 and 11. He says we are to be faithful. Faithful. How we conduct ourselves with little is how we will conduct ourselves with lots. Full stop. Fact. I know it's tempting to think, when I have a bit more money, or when my kids have left home, or when we have decorated X room, or when we have done this with our money, then I'll be able to do this. When I get the pay rise, when... Friends, the way we conduct ourselves with little is how we will conduct ourselves with lots. If we can't live for what is more valuable when we only have a little worldly wealth, we will not be able to conduct ourselves faithfully when we have lots. That's Jesus' teaching in this story. It is so tempting to think when I have more. And we need to recognise that money, it talks. More correctly, it whispers. You need me. You can't live without me. If you give me away, you'll never get me back. It whispers in our ear, moment by moment, day by day. Love me. Serve me. And if we can't overcome the deceitful whispers of a little money, we will never overcome the shouted lies of plenty. I thank God 
regularly. That I started out in adult life on a very small, four day a week, charity sector wage. And I had had to learn to be faithful with my money, instantly. There was nothing spare. I had no difficult decisions to make. <laughs> I could afford rent, bills, food, and giving. That was it. It was a lot easier to tie my first paycheck, which was a very small amount, than it feels subsequently, now there's more money involved. Sometimes we think it's the opposite, but friends, I tell you, it's not. And I'm so thankful to God that he didn't expose me to riches before I'd learned to be faithful. It's done me the world of good. We've had to make difficult financial decisions at various points in our lives. And the things I learned in those early days where I had just enough have enabled me to be faithful when I've had more. Here's the question about faithfulness. The questions hurt, by the way. Do you know what you spend your money on? That's your question to consider in light of Jesus' teaching today. Do you have a budget? Are you faithful to it? That is what faithfulness means. Friends, ultimately, this is true. Disordered finances are a sign of a disordered life. And a disordered life is the sign of a disordered heart. And if you've got a disordered heart, then you cannot follow Jesus well. I told you it's a good one. To love Jesus well, to follow him well, we must, must, must have control of our money. Second consequence of following Jesus, the way of Jesus when it comes to money, is in verse 12. And I'm going to summarise this one as stewardship, which is looking after someone else's stuff. Everything we have, everything you have, everything the person next to you has, has been given to you has been entrusted to you. I know the money whispers, I'm yours. You earned me. You worked really hard for me. But friends, everything we have is ultimately God's. And yes, the money, but even more so, the abilities with which we earn our money. He created you with your gifts and skills. He was the one who decided to place you in 2022 and not the 10th century. Let me tell you, you'd have no money if you were born a 10th century. One person in this room would have money if they're 10th century. They'd be in a very grand seat at the front. Everybody else would have nothing. God has so ordained it in his wisdom that you and I live in this day and age. I'm very thankful that we live in the age of penicillin. Sliced bread. The internet. Most of the time. <coughs> Everything we have is our Father's and it has been entrusted to us. We are stewards of it. Stewardship is living mindfully of the true owner's interests. If you can't live responsibly with someone else's stuff, thinking after their interests, then no one will trust you with your own. If you can't be a good steward of worldly wealth, why would God trust you? with things of eternal significance. It's not my teaching, it's Jesus' teaching. It's kind of humbling, isn't it? It's very sobering. 
we listen to many lies, do you know who we become? We become Gollum. <laughs> My precious. <sighs> My precious. I practiced that impression yesterday. <laughs> and the kids said, Daddy, who's that? And I went, don't you know? They've not seen Lord of the Rings. They said, is it Jafar from Aladdin? I was like, no. My precious. Mine! Ever had a mine moment? Where you snatch your money close? can't be a faithful steward of someone else's stuff. Who would trust us with our own? Third key consequence is worship. Jesus says you can't serve two masters, you can't worship two things, you get to worship one and every decision friends that we ever make leads us in one of two directions leads us towards worshipping God or worshipping money. There is no third way, there is no neutral position Every decision we make leads us to loving God or loving money. Full stop. This is Jesus. And we're very familiar, and some of you may have heard teaching on this before, and your whole viewpoint of money will be based on this. Some of us are very familiar with the temptation of money and having more, driving us to worship and to love money. We're all familiar with that. The, the three great vices, money is in there. But what we might be less familiar with is that fear does the same thing. So fear over lack of money causes us to serve money, just like love of money and desiring for more. And I want to take you back to the very first thing I said at the beginning of this talk. It's almost impossible to live a day without being told there's not enough. That everything's getting too expensive. That you're not going to be able to afford it. That things are going to go missing on the shelves. And for some of us, it is causing genuine financial challenge. And next week we'll talk about several practical things that will help us. But we must be aware that with that story, every single day of our lives, we must protect ourselves from believing the fear that it's trying to breed in us. Because it's whispering away. And fear of not having enough will cause us to go, mine! And we'll end up worshipping money. When we choose to follow the way of Jesus, when we choose to live faithfully and to steward money and to use it to worship God, when we choose to live generously, when we choose to live with our eyes fixed on eternity, what happens is we reject the seductive whisper of money and we end up fixing our eyes on the God who promises he will care for us. We end up fixing our eyes on the God whom we can trust. We end up fixing our eyes on the only place that we will actually find the true delights of life. It's very easy to believe the lie that if I just had £200 more, I'd be happy. But money doesn't make us happy. Money is not the source of happiness, nor does it hold true joy. Only one is the source of happiness. Only one is the source of true joy. Jesus says you can only worship one. 
And my third question is what are you worshipping? I missed my second question, didn't I? Those of you making notes. The question that goes with stewardship is how would you feel to sit and look through your budget or your bank account with the father on the chair next to you? Because that's what stewardship means. If it's all his, how would you feel giving an account for how you're using it? And look, this isn't a message that says, look, you've got to be like super tight and got to give everything you've ever had away and you can never have anything nice. It's not my message. In Monopoly, you need money, right? You need money to buy things. You need money to pay for things. But what happens is you've got to have your mind on the fact that it's all going back in the box. So you don't spend what actually matters, your eternal stuff. Stuff that doesn't matter for a moment. So the way of Jesus in handling money wisely is to live faithfully, to live as a good steward, and to live worshipping him. Friends, ultimately it's the way of Jesus, and this is what Jesus showed us. We don't see it so much in his handling of money, although it is there if I had more time, but we do see it in this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, to enter the heavens and sit down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus stood and fixed his eyes on the eternity. He fixed his eyes on what eternally mattered. You. Your eternal destiny. Your life. Your eternal life with him. Jesus stood and he fixed his eyes on what was eternally significant. And he chose to endure the cross. And he scorned the shame that he suffered in that moment. Because he knew that the temporary cost was well worth the value of the eternal thing. Your eternal destiny was more valuable than Jesus' own life. He was faithful to the end. He was a steward of everything the Father gave him for the Father's interest, which was to gather many sons and daughters to himself. And he lived every moment worshipping the Father. Not worshipping power, not worshipping money, not worshipping himself. Friends, this is the way of Jesus. We handle money wisely by following the way of Jesus, by being faithful, by being a good steward, by fixing our cries of worship, our days of worship, on him and not on money. My goal this morning is not to make you feel bad. If you feel bad this morning, God has everything you need. Sometimes we feel bad because actually he's convicting us. He's just pressing a button in our hearts. And we recognise it and we go, oh, I don't like it. And we're confronted with a choice. I can ignore Adam. And in so going, ignore God. Or I can choose to say, okay, I will budget. Okay, I will see if I do actually stick to my budget. Okay, I will go through and see if I'm being a good steward. Okay, I will check my heart and my attitude of worship. Can I invite you to rise to your feet if you're able? I just want us to stand together before God. We're going to sing in a moment if you guys want to come back up. When you put your hands back out in front of you, as you said before there, are things more valuable than the worldly wealth we hold in our hands? But what's in our hands matters. Why don't you put your hands out for a moment? Just as a sign of what's in your hands. And perhaps this morning, if you are feeling I have been saying mine and holding it close, the simple act of opening your hand to God 
is a prophetic gesture of submitting again your money to him. This message is not to bring condemnation. The baskets are not going round. This is a message to bring freedom to the people of God. Because for many of us, money holds us. Holds us with lies. Holds us with shame. Holds us with fear. And this morning as we release our fists, what we're doing is letting go of an idol. Letting go of another master. And lifting our eyes as we talked about in worship and fixing them on the Father who's kind, who has the cattle on a thousand hills, who is able to provide for your every need. And next week, if you're in need, we're going to hear a bit about how he does that. Not just leaving you in theory. We'll do practical, I promise you. But friends, we must stand open-handed with our eyes on the Father, seeing his kindness, trusting his provision, (coughs) receiving his grace. And I want to invite you, won't you just breathe in deeply and ask God for his peace. If you know you need freedom in this area, just put it on your lips. Say, Father, I need freedom. Money has held me. But I let go. I throw it off. And I come to you. I hold on to you, Father. I hold on to you this morning. You are the source of life. You are the source of pleasure. You are the source of joy, not money. And I humbly say, Lord, help me be faithful. Father, help me be a good steward. Father, by your spirit, help me to worship you and not money. Why don't you just talk to him with yourself for a moment. Use your own words. Receive his peace. Say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Lead us into freedom, we ask. In Jesus' name.